This is your host, Ernest Calderon, speaking. Hey guys, this is Drew Dietzen. <laughs> Anyone want to watch some Kyle videos? <laughs> I'm getting paranoid that I sound like that. Um, we got a great show for you here today, episode 11. Yeah, you may be noticing a uh, conspicuous absence, or maybe you haven't even noticed, in which case we won't even mention it. Yeah, we'll so, see. Maybe something's like a little better. missing here, maybe not. I think... I think this feels right. Mm -hmm. Honestly, yeah, I like the third mic just sitting there. Like, dead air is just better than Hunter. Yeah. Wait, who? I mean, <laughs> Dean here, Uh We got a lot of a lot of good stuff for you here today. Um, we're going to be talking what we've been watching. But before we get to that, what's up with this Honestly Dav video? Yeah, so... Finding Drew Dietzen. So, Honestly Dav, a subsidiary company of Honestly has his newest video on YouTube, if you don't follow him, which I'm sure you do, it's a trailer for a movie called Finding Drew Dietzen. A, a non-existent movie at that. As far as we know, yeah. He's not, he it, it doesn't exist, it may never exist. But yeah, I am, I'm flattered and I'm scared at the same time of this trailer. Because <laughs> um, it's a movie entirely about me being missing and I was not involved with the production at all. It's uh, it's very spooky. It's it honestly it, it it gets to you. Yeah, there's some there's some pretty especially if you're Drew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially if you're the person that he made the movie. Um, but yeah, that's I mean this is just some good fresh work from our subsidiary coming out, so we might as well plug it. I mean, I'm glad he's making content and he's trying to be yeah. inventive and spooky time yeah. of year, even though it is November first. It's it's funny because like you know the last episode we were like telling him what kind of videos. Like, so this looks like I was just like, make a, make a fucking movie about me, David. God damn it. Well, I wasn't. He just, he posted a trailer on Twitter a while ago that had a picture of me with my eyes crossed out. So I guess, yeah. me off the bat. It's <laughs> like viral marketing for this project. Viral marketing for just me. No one else is like, oh, that's just some guy. Like, oh, that's me. <laughs> and I did not approve of this post. <laughs> that's my face, and that's a picture he took from my Facebook. Um, oh, okay, real quick. Um, we have a new review on our itunes page oh yeah yeah friend of the pod ray oh writes mm, i finish every time five stars that's the whole thing <laughs> so thanks ray um if you want you can also leave us a review on itunes subscribe to the pod mm -hmm. we're also available on google yes. play ray is a man of few words and a word of many a man of many onomatopoeias Yes, good old Ray. And he's always right. Great, great guy. When he says he finishes, he's finishing. Oh, yeah. Um, 
Hey, Drew. Mm-hmm. Have you heard the new Weezer album? <laughs> sure have. Um, yeah, so Weezer has a new album. I, when did it just drop? Like yesterday? It, it dropped like right around Halloween. Pacific Daydream. Yeah, they have just been like shitting out albums recently. This one is a quick one. It's 10 songs, 34 minutes, so about three minutes a song. And it's it's just... I mean, it's what we've come to expect from them, kind of, with some variance, but it's a uh, it's a pop rock album. Um, yeah, but a pop rock album in 2017 somehow sounds a lot better than a pop rock album in 2009 with Ratitude. Yeah, this is interesting, because, yeah, you mentioned that. It's very similar to what they released with Ratitude in 2009, and yet it's just a different time. And it's a different time for Weezer specifically, because in 2009, the album they had put out right before that was the Red album. That had songs like, oh, that was right before Ratitude? Well, that, it was 2008. Okay, so that yeah. had songs like Pork and Beans on it that were way more like standard rock songs. So then after that, they put out a more popular Well, to, to me, Red Album is just watered down Weezer. Like, they're really oh, doing is. the same thing they've been doing, just I mean, not as all of, sharp. All the Weezer after Pinkerton is watered down Weezer. It really is. It's, it's sad, but because a lot of the time it's pretentious when people are like, yeah, I only like their early work. Weezer was a different animal back in the day. Um, I mean, if you don't know the whole, you know, history of what went down, the Blue Album was a massive success for good reason. It's a great, like, upbeat, just fun rock album. And then after that, they followed it up with Pinkerton, which is a lot more experimental, and it's a lot more in the mind of Rivers Cuomo, their frontman. And that was met with a very mixed reception at first, and and, uh, commercially it was a failure. And so, but those two albums are still regarded as yeah. their best. Well, Rolling Stone had it when it re- was released as one of their worst albums of the year. In retrospect, it has become legendary. People love this album now because guess where music has gone? It's gone indie and experimental and introspective. Yeah. So it was way ahead of its time. But the failure of the album sparked Rivers Cuomo to just be like, all right, well, fuck it. I'm just going to do basic rock shit for the rest of forever. Yeah. And so he that's kind of And that's what they've on. been doing. Yeah. And so it's, you know, And you even mentioned that to this day the band members have to like reel him back from doing yeah. weird shit. <laughs> yeah, the story is for this album apparently. I'm pretty sure Rivers is the one who said this. They had to talk him out of doing mumble rap. Oh this boy. Album. I would have killed myself <laughs> if he didn't mumble rap in a pop rock album. Yeah. And it worked out for the better. I mean, this is a good album. It's it's, yeah, it's, it's not, short and sweet it's and not, it's not bad. It's not essential. It shares a lot of DNA with the new Front Bottoms album in that it's just it's pop rock. It's a, it's more polished than it would have been in the early 2000s, but it's, you know, borrowing a lot from that whole, you know, pop rock of the early 2000s. Yeah. I mean, Weezer has a huge back catalog to look back on that the Front Bottoms yeah, don't. Exactly. But at least, you know, Front Bottoms is trying to come to terms with being <laughs> st- still on the come up and having to face the decline of rock. Yeah. But Weezer is like, you know, they're legends and they're just having to stay relevant. Yeah. And Weezer, I mean, Rivers talks about it even in the, the song I like the best out of the album is called Beach Boys. And it's just an album. It's a, it's, it's a Beach Boys. Yeah. It's a, a, it's funny, but B, it's a nostalgic song, which is what they've been doing recently. But it's just a song about going out to some lake where you used to go and putting on the Beach Boys. And he mentions like in the in the first verse, there are lyrics where he's like, "It's it's a hip hop world, and we're just furniture." He yeah. literally, yeah. So I mean, he damn, <laughs> yeah. That's why he. Wanted, I gotta I gotta try to break down the lyrics a little more on this album. I feel like Ly- uh, River still has his shit together when it comes to writing lyrics. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. I just caught that like a couple like a couple hours ago listening. I was like, oh shit, because he. I mean, that's why he wanted to rap. He wants so badly to be on the edge of what's happening, but at the end of the day, he's. 
Yeah. They are not on the edge anymore. But I, I did make the comparison to you before about how Foo Fighters also came out with a new record this year, and they're just doing the Foo Fighters mm-hmm. thing. They they know it works, and they know they can't really deviate yeah. too much from it. But at least Weezer is like trying something new and experimenting with like new electronic beats and yeah. like more modern sounds. Yeah, they have, yeah, they have a little more hip hop influence without like full on appropriation. Right. Um, and they have some pretty good production elements added. Like there's you know more than you would have found in the '90s. So it, I mean, it's worth listening to. It's not essential, like I said. Not like, oh, hey, hear this. At least it's a fun album, yeah. and it's a lot better than you probably expected a Weezer album in 2017 yeah, exactly. to be. Like, if you're into, if you like Island in the Sun, then you'll like this album. It's, yeah. It's, it's like a beach, like, hey, let's just, like, chill, bro. Like bro. There's one song that sounds a lot like Sugar Ray. Not in, like, a horrible way. Um, take that however you may. Um, so that rhymed. Thank you. I like to rhyme with Sugar Ray. Um, so... The other release I wanted to talk about was another uh, short one that just came out almost, I mean, literally out of nowhere. It's The whole album is called Without Warning. And oh, yeah, this dropped last night. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it, two two nights ago, but it's, right? I don't no, know. It, no, it dropped two nights ago because it was yeah. when it became Halloween night. Yeah, yeah so this is a uh, collaboration between the trio of Metro Boomin, who is the most prolific and important producer in trap music. Right he now. brings it every track. Yeah, and he's he's so productive, it's it's unbelievable. Um, and then Offset, who is my favorite of the Migos. Um, Quavo is the most known, but Offset is, I think, the most talented. Oh, yeah. He's and, definitely trying, like, yeah, he, cool things with his voice. Yeah, and this album, I'll get into it, this album particularly. But, uh, and then also 21 Savage, who had obviously got huge in 2016 with his yeah. um, collab album with Metro Boomin. Um, so this album, it's, a, it's another quick one. It's 30 minutes and 10 songs, so it's just a bunch of quick ones. Uh, it's it's good. It's uh, you know there's some that are more polished than others. A lot of them are just like very obviously like not like a shitload of time was put into it. Kind of like the Weezer album, uh, but it's just it's another on a whole different arena. It's another just like fun quick album to listen to. Right. Um, I, I like Offset more than Twenty One Savage. I want to say I think Twenty One Savage, his voice is very unique, but I don't think he really does anything interesting with flow or lyricism. Also, he definitely sounds like he's fucked up on pretty much every track. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, Metro Boomin, I mean, he brings it. Everyone, like, he's all over the radio, and he's all over the underground. He's everywhere. Um, so, his, I mean, his beats are going to be great. Two songs that I, I want to say are, like, almost essential are Ric Flair Drip. That's going to, you're going to be hearing that around. And then Disrespectful is my favorite. Song nice, nice. Yeah. And it's called... Um, What's the album called? Without warning. Without warning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's a it's a good trap album. Cool. All right. So let's get through some of these news, movie news items, real quick. Um, just right off the top, what something the, very odd has happened. List. What the fuck did? What is this? Okay. So we have no way of knowing if this is actually going to happen, but they greenlit. A Dora the Explorer live-action film produced by Mr. Michael Bay. <laughs> I wish that it was directed by Michael Bay, <laughs> but he is he is involved. That's funny. And it's it's gonna be a. Uh, I I don't even know what the fuck this is gonna be. Yeah, that's wild. So okay, I'm looking it up because this is this is fucking bonkers. I mean, he he is in the IP nowadays because he has TMNT. Yeah. His belt. And Transformers is about to die. I mean, yeah, Transformers is the ultimate. Yeah. yeah, so that's that 
That's interesting to say the least. That's that. Not much to say about that. Just think it's, you know, if it happens, it's probably going to be garbage. It's, it's uh, also being produced with the director of Neighbors, uh, Nick Stoller, and Storks. Neat. So, yeah, I don't, I mean, that's, it's going to be funny, if anything. But yeah. To just to watch. Apparently the plot is going to be about Dora, like, moving to the city. And dealing with uh, really? millennial problems or something. I don't fucking know. Like what? Like texting? She's an inventor? This <laughs> is an inventor? <laughs> she has to like maps, get, gets kidnapped. Mm -hmm. Backpack becomes like a heroin addict or yeah, something. She has to stop the Boston Marathon bomb. Yeah. You know, we could probably pitch a better movie than they're going to make. <laughs> like Dora should like team up with Vin Diesel and The mm -hmm. Rock. And then she drives like a talking car. That's already better. Yeah. Named Kit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's gonna, it's going to be trash, but I mean, whatever the fuck, you know, everything that's already something is getting made. Yeah, and it's, it's just going to be called Dora. <laughs> or, backwards, A-Rod. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, next up we have Regal Cinemas increasing their ticket pricing, but only, okay, no, no, not increasing. See, this is what they're going to try to do. They're going to try to lower the prices of movies that are not selling as much seats mm -hmm. to try to get people to go to them more. And then are they going to raise the price of high-demand movies? Presumably, yes. Be, I mean, ticket prices are going up anyway, Yeah. so it, it'll just balance it out. I mean, I we're already MoviePass subscribers, so this doesn't really apply to yeah, us yeah, unless... Yeah, don't even give a shit. I mean... Unless MoviePass goes bankrupt and we have to become fucking normies again and buy movie tickets. <laughs> I don't even use mine. <laughs> you uh, should, dude. It, it works really well. Um, okay, well, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's interesting, I guess. But I, I don't think that that's what's keeping people from going to the theater. I don't think that if a movie, like, sucks and, and you hear on the news, oh, it's only five bucks now instead of, like, nine. I don't think that that's going to get people. Honestly, no. I feel like most people don't go to the movies because the general audience member is just not cool with, like, the cinema experience. They don't want to turn their phone off. They don't want to be quiet. They don't want, like, just the, the whole atmosphere of being, like, yeah, your attention being on one thing for two and a half hours. That's true. And I'm obviously... You can't pause it. You can't, you know, stop, like... And we're... we're being completely and it's a good thing but we're bombarded with options now yeah like why why be like hey i could watch literally anything right here or i could drive somewhere like there it's it's kind of an interesting conversation because there is a point that like for a lot of people going to the movies is just not necessary yeah, especially all. with the price point yeah and people you know people don't have time if you have to drive somewhere if you're in a city like us with traffic that might add an extra hour to watching a movie you gotta you you gotta plan your day around yes, going yes, to the movies exactly so watching a movie becomes like a three-hour thing instead of just like oh i just got off work it's late at night i'll like, put something on yeah no movies are playing at a theater i'm not going to go to a theater after work I'll just right watch something yeah so yeah i guess it's kind of sad but i mean theaters are just going to keep trying weird shit to try to stay in business dude. yeah uh it's i mean they might as well try it because they're struggling obviously yeah so you know did you hear, though, that there's a theater in New York that's going to try to put a playpen in the theater for kids? In the, in the, like... In the fucking theater. Not where the screen is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're going to they're gonna try to use this as an incentive to have, like, an intermission 
in movies where kids can go and play in the playground for 15 minutes and then come back to their seats and watch the rest of the movie. See, these are, yeah, these are all ideas that are like, I mean, I guess. These are all ideas that you do when you're really in trouble. Yep. Like, that's not the best idea. All right, well, a movie that just dropped the trailer that's going to be dropping in cinemas next year is the feature film debut of Mr. Austin Vaselli, who directed music videos such as Sunday Candy and Angels. So this is a film called Slice, starring Chance the Rapper. Yes, that's really cool. They've been teasing this project for the last couple years because he's had the script written for a while, but it only shot last year. And they've been teasing it on Twitter. And essentially, it's it's a spooky story. Chance the Rapper plays a, a pizza delivery werewolf <laughs> who is framed for a series of oh murders. Oh, my God, a slice of pizza. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that's cool. I'm just glad. Have you not seen the trailer? No. I, I recommend you check it out. I'll, I'll how, link it down in the show it, notes. How does it look? Okay. Campy? This It sounds campy as fuck. Okay. I, I was hoping you'd watch the trailer, but I'll just I'll just tell you what it is. It's literally, you know that game Line Rider? Yeah. It's that. Wait, what? Like, you just have, okay, you just have to see it. But it's, it's fucking a dude on a little pizza delivery scooter in the form of Line Rider running around. And then you see, like, slices of, like, actual footage from the film with, like, creepy Whoa. music behind it. It's cool. It's my version of a great trailer yeah, where that's... you don't see, you don't see anything from the movie. You just see a little, like, see, flash game. I mean, I, I used to be obsessed with. I yeah. Uh, shout out to Line Rider, yeah. sponsor of the pod. Shout out to A24, the production company, who oh, knows their audience. They're doing Slice? Yeah. Wow, that's really cool. Also, it was just announced that Chance the Rapper is hosting SNL in a few weeks. With musical guests yeah. Eminem. Which is huge. Like, usually when a musician gets... He's our age. He's 23, well, dude. Yeah, not only that, though, but you, typically when a musician gets to host SNL, I will name the, the last three that I remember at the top of my head. Taylor Swift, Ariana Grande... And like JT, yeah, Justin Timberlake. It you have to be huge to be a musician and also. already like at least plateauing in your career. Yeah, so this is awesome. Like this is just, I mean, it's more proof if you needed it that he's broken through. Like, yeah, he and really has. I'm glad that NBC is doing this shit because this newest season of SNL has not been that great. Even though they had Kumail on, yeah, you know, that was a good get. But they are diversifying. I, I'm. The cynical part of me thinks they're only diversifying as kind of like an uh, avoiding the backlash of how they kind of enabled Donald Trump when they let him host last year. You know, my dad still doesn't watch SNL after that. I mean, you shouldn't do that. Yeah. NBC. I'm sure it was great for ratings, but you, you know, they the fucking part. enable that motherfucker. Yeah. So, I mean, that's I'm I'm really excited for him to host. Yeah. Um, even he he tweeted it his announcement when he tweeted. He just retweeted their picture of the note cards that had him hosting, and he just said, "I'm funny as fuck." I that kind of makes me wonder about him starring in a in a feature film. Like, does he have the chops to well, carry a starring role? Do you, do you remember the the short film that he was a star of? It was like oh, Mister Happy. Mister Happy. I thought yeah. it was okay. I, yeah, I didn't. It wasn't very good. His role that he had was extremely limited. He was just playing kind of this stunning, yeah. lonely guy. So we haven't really seen his full acting chops yet. So. I mean, I, I hope he's good because, I mean, I love the guy. How can you not love the guy? You know, he does everything right. Yeah. I mean, he definitely has charisma. So if at least he brings that to the screen, it'll it'll make for a, at least a good film. Yeah, exactly. All right. Last on this little bit of movie news, we have the Lion King cast officially announced by Disney. 
Um, there was a lot that, you know, we already knew, like Donald Glover as Simba and James Earl Jones reprising Mufasa. But a couple surprises here. Seth Rogen uh, confirmed as Pumbaa and Billy Eichler confirmed as um, Timon. Yeah, that's. I'm really excited for that dynamic between Rogen and Eichler. Uh, Seth Rogen has been on Billy on the Street before. And he was nice. Really, it's a really good dynamic. Yeah, too. I hope they... Do you think that they're going to be, like, doing motion capture for this? Like, how do you think this works? I think... I think it's just voice work. Well, I mean, have you seen The Jungle Book? I think that was all voice work. Yeah, exactly. They, they like, scan their faces to make the renders of the animals, but they don't do any actual Yeah, I don't think... Yeah, it'll have, like, Billy Eichner's eyes or whatever, but, like, you won't be able to tell. It'll just be uh, voice work. I I mean, I hope the movie's good. Uh, Also, among the cast, we have... Did you mention Chiwetel Ejiofor? That's uh, Scar, yeah, right? Yeah, Scar. Uh, great. Yeah. I wonder if he's going to do British accent Scar. That'd be chill. Um, and then we have Eric Andre. Oh, yeah, boy. one of the hyenas. We haven't had a chance to talk about his show on the pod because it's been gone for over yeah, a year Yeah, but season now. five should be out at some point. Sh- I mean, it should be out now. I don't know. I haven't heard anything oh, about man. it. Oh, man. I guess he's doing movies and stuff. Yeah, it's true. He's a, he's a busy guy. But yeah, uh, we're big fans of Eric Yeah, Andre. quick shout out to the Eric Andre show if you've never checked it out. It's, you know, it's Nathan Adult for you Swim. on meth. If you want Nathan for you, but just fucking batshit insane. Well, it's it's a lot more smaller scale because he brings people onto a set instead of like going around. Yeah, to the or, real world. or well, even he does go in public and he just you know for the oh the yeah, the, that's in New York and that's the best part of the show really. Like he just like yeah. brings people, like, he fucks <laughs> with people so hard. Bird um, up, yeah. And then we have uh, Keegan Michael Key playing Kamari. It's a fat cast. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited. I want to say I liked the Jungle Book. I didn't love it. Because the, the original Jungle Book is one of the movies I've seen the most in my life. I thought that the Jungle Book was going to be bad. Mm-hmm. And then I saw it and I was like, hey, that was, that was pretty good. Yeah, it, I mean, it was good. It was definitely, it was visually, it was, it was honestly stunning. Honestly, T.M. Shout out to He Who Must Not Be Named. Uh, yeah, I mean, John Favreau, you know, very talented director, yeah, obviously great, knows what he's doing. Great director. I mean... Part of me wonders, do we need this? But either way, we're getting it. So fuck, it's, dude. Like it's good. the Lion, the original Lion King movie is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, exactly. like I, I wore out my VHS yeah. tape of that See, movie. Yeah, Jungle Book. That was like Lion King for me, where I watched it like that much as a kid. Lion King. Our whole generation watched it yeah. so much. So if he fucks this one up, it's gonna be an issue. Also, what is he gonna do with the plot? Is it gonna be exactly the same thing? Or is he going to change it up somehow? Because Jungle Book had essentially the same plot. Yeah. It had a, a couple little changes in terms of Mowgli's backstory. But I wonder I wonder if he's going to do the same shit with the music, where it's just... Honestly, that was... Not full-on yeah, songs. It kind of bothered me. Like, it's, it's cool that he didn't go for full-on numbers, because it would have been weird with live action. Yeah. But it was just kind of felt half-assed to me. Yeah. There's some great musical numbers in the Jungle Book, and there's some incredible ones in The Lion King. Yeah, and then having Christopher Walken do like the one full song in the whole movie, oh, it's yeah. like, uh, yeah, and he was just talking. I, I wanna be like you, <laughs> yeah, like you. <laughs> he was, yeah, he was literally just talking through that whole God song. Goddamn. All right, well, hopefully it's good. Let's get to what we've been watching. Um, just a couple things on the docket here. I just wanted to mention. Um, 
I started watching season one of Channel Zero on Sci-Fi. Mm -hmm. The second season just wrapped up on TV, okay. but I'm trying to go back and, yeah. and watch the this, older season. This is definitely a little-known show because Sci-Fi Network isn't. Yeah. Uh, All I know, the only reason why I found out about it is because Max Landis is involved. He's an EP on yeah, it. Yeah, true. Yeah, me, I've, I've seen the first episode of it, or maybe the first two. Yeah. But it's, I mean, I, I enjoyed it, because I read the premise and I was like, oh, okay, because the, the premise is essentially... It's pretty original. Without giving too much away, it's based on creepypasta stories from the internet. Yeah, like, like facing your fears yeah, head-on shit. It's, it's just, it's directly based on a story. I mean, just a little blurb to give you a sense of what happens. It's essentially a television show that appears to brainwash children. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, this kid, and then it, it's it has a lot of parallels to it. I know. Yeah. Because it, you know, it stars the guy who played Brandanowitz on Parks. Going and going back to his childhood. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just like it, he comes back home because he can just kind of sense that something is. Like the thing that fucked up his childhood is happening again, and like kids are disappearing. Yeah. So it, I mean, it shares a lot of traditional horror elements, but it still worked. I enjoyed it. I think the uh, the acting is a little bit all over the place. There are some scenes where it just it doesn't work at all for me, and yeah. some of the writing comes off as a little bit too heightened, a little bit too dramatic. Yeah. But overall, the show is entertaining. That's see, that's what I was gonna say. I I didn't turn it off. And that's honestly what I was expecting to do. Yeah. I was like, all right, well, I'll give it a shot. But it, it kept me there. Yeah, I, I suggest you check out Eps 2 and 3 because yeah. they, they really, they go for it. Yeah. Like, they don't, True. they don't, you know, keep, save things for later on in the season. Like, Eps 2 and 3, shit goes down. Cool. Yeah, yeah. If, if you're a horror buff, I would definitely. Oh yeah, it's it's there's definitely true moments of true horror in this yeah. show they, for yeah, sure. A lot of standard stuff, and then there's they have some pretty creative scares, like some pretty creative yeah. uh, practical effects, yeah, costumes, vis visuals that kind of like, yeah. they they work. They freak you out a yeah. little bit. That's uh, Channel Zero season one. It's an anthology show, so this first season is called Candle Cove, and season two, which is the one that just wrapped up on TV, is um, I'm not sure what it's called, but it's a whole new story, whole new cast. On sci-fi. Um, also, I got a chance to use my movie pass to see Spirited Away in theaters. Uh, great film, Miyazaki film, and yeah, this this is another movie. When I was a when I was a kid, uh, I would mostly watch movies at my grandma's, and it was like Jungle Book, Spirited Away, and then like Max Keeble's big movie. Oh boy, which we don't need to talk about that. But Spirited <laughs> Away, yeah, that's it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, it's probably my favorite Miyazaki. It's an incredible. Movie. Yeah, it's hard for me to rank Miyazaki, but mm. this one, when people ask me what my favorite one is, this one always comes to mind only because of the character design and, and the whole, you know, crazy imagination that this guy is exercising with the design of these characters. Because, you know, watching this movie again, um, after years of not watching it, I realized that it doesn't really linger too much on its plot. Like, nothing really happens in the movie. This yeah. girl stumbles upon this magical land and starts working at this bathhouse where spirits come to rest. And that's about it. There's not really, like, a true antagonist in the yeah. film. There's no, like, big set piece or anything. It just... It's, a, it's an adventure. It's just It's an adventure, and it's more of, like, a girl finding her courage. Yeah. And, like, learning to face her fears. Yeah, more than anything, especially when you're a little kid, it left such a big... This and then Castles in the Sky was the other thing yeah. that I watched a lot. Miyazaki movies produce a certain feeling. 
like it's it's almost intangible. It's I almost can't even describe it, but it's just you're watching something that is truly coming from like a place of like pure creativity. There's yeah. No, there's no commerce behind it. Like there's no there's no like all right, I'm going to make a movie about this because people like it. Like right. it's just. It's, it's just a really pure movie. And you're like. stepping into this guy's imagination and, like, fully feeling the weight of it. Like, you – this is a man who knows exactly how to visualize the insane shit that's going on in his oh, head. Yeah. And it's insane in, in a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's things that you can't really compare to anything else. Yeah, the, the animation is incredible. Um, just the message is really good. A lot of Miyazaki movies are very empowering to women, um, which is, I mean... It's great. Well, yeah, in the 90s when they were coming out, like there were a ton of Disney movies like that. I mean, just compared to, like, when you're a kid watching a shitload of Disney movies, the entire style of these is so different because his movies aren't afraid to, like, unsettle you. Right. Like, they make you feel weird. They're not just... They don't comfort you the whole movie. Um, It's just... It's a whole different feeling. And just little world-building details, like... At the end of Spirit Away, spoilers for Spirit Away, if you haven't seen it, but they're just the little detail of how um, her friend is a river spirit. He's the spirit of a river. Like, that was that wasn't necessary, but just the fact that he yeah. wants to include that in, in the world is like, oh my god. Yeah, there's, like There's a lot of, like, mythological stuff yeah, like that going on. And I think it, it's a, a lot of it's grounded in, you know, Japanese culture, Definitely. which, you know, we're not too well-versed with, but... It's a nice chance to be us for for us to be exposed to it. Yeah, when I, I mean when I was a kid, like I my dreams would be like Miyazaki, like animation, just because it, it bright, left, colorful. It left a weird, yeah, it just left this weird impact on me. Where I, because I mean I was just used to watching all these sugary American Disney movies where everything is fine. Yeah, and these movies like are pretty scary. Sometimes. Yeah. Um. So I mean, if you haven't seen a Miyazaki movie, I. Maybe start with Spirited Away, but... It's a great place to start. You can't go wrong, though. They're all good in their own way. I love uh, Kiki's Delivery Service Mm -hmm. and... My Neighbor Totoro. Yes. um, Howl's Moving Castle. There's there's a lot. And usually the the dubs are really great. Like, I saw this movie dubbed. It it wasn't subtitled. Yeah, they're not not too corny. Yeah, so they usually get really good voice actors. Mm -hmm. Um, And then another thing that I got to check out was a new Netflix stand-up special... Jack Whitehall at large. The reason why I decided to put this on is because I am familiar with Jack Whitehall from his show on Channel 4 in um, the UK, Fresh Meat, which is just this show that ran for like four seasons uh, about a group of college kids like living in a, in a house together. True. And it's it's a fun show. Like it, it it's, it's got that British vibe of just mm. like dealing with like sex and drugs and shit that like doesn't really come up on American TV too much. And Jack Whitehall is actually probably the best cast member in the show. I mean, everyone's great, but he just, he has a way of portraying like this faux douche sort of deal where like he's trying to be this really pompous, like stuck up sort of guy. But Mm -hmm. you can tell that deep down he's like, not that at all, and that he's actually very flawed and emotional True. and has a lot of issues. That's cool. See, I'm familiar with Jack Whitehall from because he has appearances like every British comedian on the myriad of British variety comedy shows. We don't seem to have that many of the, these in America, but it's just these shows where, like, 
It entirely depends on like the visiting cast, like rotating cast of comedians just talking. Like an SNL sort of deal? No, it's it's like there's a show called, I don't know if it's called this, but it, the whole premise is Am I Lying? And it's just like someone telling this long story and then the comedians like, well, I'll talk about it and make jokes about it and then they'll decide that the person's uh, lying. So it's kind of like at midnight a little bit? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Okay. It's, it's in that vein. Uh, Britain has a ton of those and, you know, a good amount of the time clips from these will go viral. On but YouTube. I, yeah, so that's how I knew about it. So yeah, talk about the yeah, he's a talented dude. I mean, so Jack Whitehall at large on Netflix. I I get the sense that Netflix has figured out how to give stand-up specials to people who aren't necessarily stand-up comedians. Mm. And if you think back to when we talk about Hassan Minaj and his stand-up special, mm. that special was made for Netflix. Like, it's very visual. It's a guy that's, like, doing a performance, like a one-man show. And it's not traditional stand-up. It's more of, like, a one-hour Netflix special. It's, it's like they've made their own thing. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of the same thing. Like, okay. they, they picked Whitehall to, do, to, to write and perform a one-hour, one-man show where he's telling the story and being very heightened and almost... Like he's playing a part, like he's doing like a like a play, and a lot of it doesn't work because um, he's trying to come off as um, spontaneous and trying to do these bits where he's like, like uh, one example in particular. There's this bit where he's telling a story, and comedians will often do this in stand-up. Well, they'll tell a story. And they'll say that it's a real thing that happened, but they're just changing the names of the people in the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he does this, mm. and then he, quote unquote, messes up and says the name of the real person. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like, oh, really? Did you actually mess up, or is this you, you yeah. just trying to do a bit? That, and then he takes it further. I know what you mean. That happens a lot in comedy specials. The best, the best version of that is uh, John Mulaney in New Town. Because he does it on purpose, and you know he does it on purpose, where he's talking about, like, he, he's talking about an airline. He's like, airlines suck. Like, let's just make up an airline. Let's just call it, like, Delta Airlines. Right. Because that, that's not, he's not trying to act like he's doing it accidentally. That's just a joke. Yeah, but. Um, but, but Yeah, I, I see what you mean by but that. But Whitehall, like, you get the sense that he's really trying to play this as, like, a genuine moment of him mm. fucking up. But it's so scripted. Like it does not come off as genuine at all. You can tell you can tell the whole thing is scripted and it it actually happens more than once in the special and and it's it's interesting you say that because the British comedians that I've seen specials of are very like they're not like American club comics. They're very scripted. There's really nothing impromptu happening. Yeah, like why would it be impromptu? Like this is a Netflix special. Like they made this for Netflix. Yeah. And he this is a big opportunity for him. Why would he mess up like that? You, yeah, you have to. <laughs> and to, in order to make it seem like you're kind of messing up, you have to be so good at that. Yeah. You know who's really good at that is Louis. Oh, Louis, yeah. Louis does that a lot, where he will he'll, he'll act like he's just realizing something is funny in the moment that he just said. He'll be like, oh, I didn't mean it like that or whatever. But he, I mean, he, it's rehearsed. Yeah. Maybe he came upon it organically. But I started this special by Jack Whitehall. And maybe I didn't get it, give it enough of a chance, but it seemed like a typical British special when they come to America in which they're like, oh, British people are like this, American yeah. people are like this. Another thing that bothered me more than it should have uh, is British comedians use headset mics. 
And for some reason, I hate that shit. Uh, Hasan Minaj does that too, I'm pretty oh, really? sure. Okay. Did you never watch that special? No. You should check it out. Yes. It's way, way better than Jack Whitehall yeah, at sure. large. It's so good. But, but just the whole aspect of like wanting your hands to be free so you can run around the stage yeah. and perform. There's def- Yeah, there's definitely a lot of merit to it. Um, but I think it's just part of me, like all I can picture when I see that is the Backstreet Boys. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and British comedians do that a lot more, but like... It just, I don't know, it's like the comedy snob in me being like, all right, yeah, bring that to the comedy store in New exactly. York. Exactly. That's why I think that this is not a true stand-up special. It's more of a performance. It's more yeah, of it's like a... one-man show. It's a one-man show, exactly. And that's, I think Netflix is trying to implement yeah. that into their... So, so you're saying it's pretty good, but it's not like essential? I, I would say, you know, it's only an hour. Watch the second half. I, I think the final bit oh, is really? pretty good. So what, start in the second half? Yeah, I mean, okay. you've, you've already watched the first half, so I'd say oh, finish. True. I'd say Just finish me. it. <laughs> I'd say finish it. I mean, if if you're looking for something different on Netflix, something mm-hmm. that's a little bit more outside the box in in their whole huge range of yeah, comedy specials, this is something that you'll probably like. I okay. mean, it's not perfect. And, yeah, and I'll, I'll probably end up checking out. I think I just may have just gone to bed or something. Yeah, yeah, um, but but he's. Funny. He's a funny yeah. guy. He's talented. He's just not a stand-up comedian. Okay. Okay. So that was Jack Whitehall at large on, on Netflix. Netflix. Uh, another Netflix piece that I really want to talk about. I'm really excited to talk about this. American Vandal. It's you've probably seen it plastered all over your Netflix because you know for a, for a few weeks or whatever it was like the first thing that would pop up when you logged on Netflix. It's a parody of like these serial documentary mystery series that are coming out, like the Jinx or like the serial podcast. They're trying to or like, making a murder, which yeah, is also a Netflix. Exactly, making a murder. Oh, sure. um, it is like it's so good. I was I was taken aback. You by, watched all of it, didn't you? I was taking yeah. I, I I had to like I had to wake up early this morning, and I stayed up till three a.m. last night watching it. I usually don't do that, but it was so incredibly good. The first thing that they do so right. Okay, I'll give the premise first. Essentially, it's just. It's like a documentary series. It's eight episodes long of... Mockumentary. Yeah, mockumentary of these two high school kids trying to solve the mystery of who spray-painted a bunch of dicks on the faculty cars in the parking lot of the high school. So it's like high school, you know, comedy stuff. The, the first notable thing they do right is the genre parody. It's incredible genre parody. Like, like documentary now. It, yeah, it's, it's documentary now or above. Like... I, I sometimes I wish documentary now would kind of take a series type thing and do that because this is what that would be. It's unbelievable how like every single stylistic element of any of any documentary you've ever seen is utilized here and perfectly. It's a, it's perfect satire, obviously, because the joke really doesn't wear out that what they're doing all this intricate research on is stupid. It's dicks. Um, it's the same bit the entire show. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. That's why. Kind of what why, the fuck? That's kind of why I didn't want to watch it because it's like, how can they make eight episodes out of these dicks? They make you care so much about these dicks. <laughs> like it's genuinely crazy. They another thing that I really was impressed by is that they got high school right. It was clearly made by someone who is not too far removed from high school and is also very plugged into what's happening in modern high school. Yeah. Um, they, you know, it's believable. Another good uh, aspect. Well, of who's it. the team behind it? I mean, it's created by yeah, it's, Tony. It's these two guys. The same. Lucinda yeah. and Dan Peralt. Dan Peralt directed every single episode of this, 
And you can tell stylistically, it's very uniform throughout the entire thing. These are these are two guys that only have a few college humor and fun yeah, die yeah, sketches. They, they've done a lot of online stuff. I think they did a Shark Tank parody, so they've done genre parody before. I I just I mean I was I was blown away by this. So they got the high school aspect right. The the biggest aspect of that because it's really hard to do this. They got incredible acting out of high school-aged actors. Um, the main guy is Jimmy Tatro. Yeah, Jimmy Tatro, who is, uh, you might know from YouTube or Vine. He has like over 2 million YouTube subscribers. Yeah. He, has, he has a lot of videos that are just about He's like, also popped up on 22 Jump Street yeah, and yeah, a couple he played, other... He played the red hair and the guy with red hair in 22 Jump Street. He is unbelievable as like, you know, he's the, the suspect that they have basically already convicted of painting these dicks. But... Any, like, every problem that I thought I was going to run into, I, w- I went into this very cynical just because, A, I heard it was from, I heard, I heard Vine Star. I was like, oh, it's, it's, it's about a Vine Star or something. And I was like, oh, so it was produced by Vine Stars, so it's probably not going to have right. content. And, and it's also what we've been talking about the last, you know, couple weeks on, on the pod about how, like, Netflix is just sort of coasting on these very mediocre shows. Mm-hmm. So you think, like, oh... Well, here we go, another one. Yeah, but this this is not that. Every character that they introduce, they go so in depth with. Like they, you actually get to know these characters. You actually give so much of a shit about them because they're multi layered, they're dimensional. Like these are real people. It seems like it's awesome. Um, and the whole, I mean, the whole premise of it is uh, the the two guys that are making the documentary are just two sophomore high school. Like uh, you know, they work on the morning news team of their high school. Right. And you know, they're just kind of like amateur filmmakers going around and they become obsessed with this story because they're like, this guy didn't do it. Um, it's almost like Wolf Center. Yeah, exactly. They work on that type of show. Um, uh, Charles, Law and Charles High, quick shout out. Oh, uh, yeah. You've got to know Ernest was the host of Wolf Center. Um, so, so, yeah, they got incredible acting out of a young cast. A lot of them were like maybe in their early 20s, but some of them were genuinely 17, 16, and they did such a good job. Again, like I said... Uh, I think it was earlier. It may be technically later because it's in the second segment. <laughs> I'm a time traveler. Yeah. But a lot of the time, good. If you have like a big cast like this and you get good acting out of a bunch of young people, either you have the greatest casting director of all time or more likely you have really fucking good directing. And, and a lot of these guys probably don't have a lot of acting experience. You know, they're very no. green, very fresh. They, they really, Yeah, they really don't if you look at their so good and part of it's probably because a lot of them you know they can draw from experience right. because they have been high school kids but you I was just shocked by how believable it all was like it genuinely it, it ended up having kind of like at the end of The Office I really liked at the end of The Office where the, the show that they've been filming the final season comes yeah. out like halfway through this it becomes like a viral sensation American Vandal because like, they're uploading this to Oh, so it's it's like meta. Yeah, exactly. Oh shit! It has this really cool meta angle going. The entire plot of it is so unbelievably intricate. They go so in depth with all these things. Without, it's funny because it's stupid. But you're never like, okay, like shut the fuck up. Like they because they it keeps you inter- interested. The mystery of it, like the the complexities of all these relationships, are really really well fleshed out. It's and, it's not an open and shut case. It's not. You, you are guessing until the very, very end of this who did it. How much does it benefit from being a mockumentary? Oh, that, I mean, that's everything. Right. The, the entire thing is how it's a mockumentary because there's a lot of voiceover work, uh, you know, by the main guy who's right. doing the filmmaking. And he is, he's super good. The, 
probably the most not believable element of the whole thing is how unbelievably good of a documentary this kid is supposedly making because this is a professional quality documentary but that's I mean that's for the purpose of making a better thing to watch so yeah that's you don't want it to be like some YouTube crap yeah. because that's see my my angle on this is I, I haven't seen it I, I really want to check it out now but I've seen some of Jimmy Tatro's YouTube videos mm. and they're not that great I mean he's absolutely hilarious mm -hmm. in them like he's so fucking well, funny but the quality of the videos are just like a guy setting up a camera randomly yeah see that's why i wasn't excited for it but he's i mean he is just acting in it he is he, i mean like i said he's playing this idiot high schooler who everyone thinks did it just because he's a fucking idiot and he, it really seems like he did it but the depth I, it's hard to even describe the depth of this mystery that they get into where they're like okay well this guy said that he saw this guy spray painting the dicks. Okay, so let's get into his credibility. Like he, he says that he got a hand job from this girl, and then there's like 15 minutes on whether or not he actually got. Oh a hand my job from god! This girl. It is so funny. It gets it gets high school right in that respect, where it's just kind of like this self-contained little world where everything stupid matters so much. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I was just I was dumbfounded by how I got so enveloped in this stupid show about dicks. It was, it, it's done well yeah, in almost every Yeah, I guess way. that's the point of it, yeah. you know, to it, care about something that doesn't yeah. ultimately matter at all. Exactly. I almost have no notes for it, except for maybe it's, there are some times where it drags a little bit, but that's just because he's being too thorough with his investigation. Yeah. Oh, maybe it could have been six episodes instead of eight. Maybe. I mean, I'm glad that there was an eight, though. Oh. Like, they're all, they're all probably. You're happy to watch every one of them. Yeah, they're yeah. all about, like, 30. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty, and it's, pretty succinct. I mean, I just, I mean, I'm almost speechless just because I saw this all last night and I was not expecting to like it so much. Well, I mean, I'll, you know, Hunter and I will probably check it out and we'll talk about it more. That's uh, American Vandal on Netflix. So before we go to the break, you want to touch on uh, The Good Place? Yeah, what? Okay, so are we just on the most recent episode? So there was the Existential Prices one where we got to see, like, coked out uh, yeah. Ted Danson. Yeah, Ted Danson. Yeah, going that, through an existential crisis. That was a fun one. Our friend a friend of the pod, Brett, had an issue with it, which I I mean, I kind of agree with where the buy-in of it is kind of silly, where they just are like, hey, you realize you can die, and then the whole episode happens. Right. Because it's like, oh, my God. So the buy-in is not that good, but what happens is very funny. So I was fine with it. Not yeah. Being and just, I'm always happy to see Ted dancing yeah, exactly. do crazy it shit. It was just a fun dancing episode. Um, so and then, that, then it was the Janet episode. Well, in between those two was the moral test episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, was, the trolley. Yeah, exactly. It was an incredible episode where uh, essentially Chidi is trying to teach Ted dancing. I'm not going to call him this character's name. You got to deal with it. Yeah, him. it's Ted. Trying to teach Ted dancing how to be a good person. And it's obviously incredibly hard because he and they basically, they take the concept, the moral test of would you rather kill five people stuck on a trolley track or change the track than kill one person? You have to choose. Mm. And they visualize this. And it's insane. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, it's like a classic moral dilemma. And Chidi's entire character trait, his, his like, horrible downfall is that he can't make decisions. So Precisive. he keeps, like, murdering yeah, people. Exactly. I mean, it's all a simulation, but... Yeah, so Ted Danson keeps simulating these realistic things where he has to choose between killing his friends. Um, it's ridiculous. And, and, and then it switches over to, like, all these other scenarios yeah, exactly. where he has to choose who to and kill. it's just horrible. About, like, probably two-thirds through the episode, I got what was happening. And I was like, oh, shit. 
And yeah. Mason is torturing JD right now. <laughs> because that is the worst possible thing to happen to JD is for him to make these awful choices. And eventually uh, Eleanor finds out she's like, oh, or maybe Chidi does, but he's like, oh, you're torturing him. You're torturing me. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, yeah, I am. I just, I got it. But, <laughs> I couldn't uh, help myself. Yeah, but the, just the result of this little thing was such a good episode. I love this season. Yeah, it's so good. It's just taking its time to go into all these, like, Weird, yes. weird places. Exactly. Every episode is very different. Yeah, and now, now with the new, the latest Janet episode, where it's just like visual comedy to the max. You know, she's like malfunctioning and like destroying the world around her in yeah. these very comical ways. Yeah, and you find out that she is uh, in love with Jason, which is hilarious because as a couple, that was like one of my favorite things of late season one, early season two. Yeah, as a couple, so. Uh, yeah, great, great episodes, great season so far. I mean, it's just like I said, like, once you finish season one, you're like, oh, okay. What's the girl that plays uh, Janet called? Uh, Darcy Carden. She deserves an Emmy. Yeah, Darcy Carden. At least Carden a nomination. Is doing work. She's getting a lot of recognition on, like, Twitter and stuff from people. You know, famous people will be like, whoa, you're, you're doing some shit. Uh, she, yeah, she's doing incredible work. And, I mean, her character is obviously great, but yeah, yeah. She, she's a great actor, great improviser. She's been on Comedy Bank right all right, that's The Good Place on NBC, and uh, we're going to take a quick break, because I really got to pee. And then when we come back, we're going to be talking Halloween movies, spooky movies. And I guess Hunter might be here. All right, be right back. A chill just came over the room here, and now uh, now there's cobwebs everywhere and, uh, and snow slowly falling yeah, from the and, ceiling. And Hunter's here all of a sudden. Now break. Ooh. Whoa, that was wild! Yeah. How did that happen? And a second theme song <laughs> after the first break. Why don't worry this about be? it. No, don't worry about it. It's fine. So uh, okay. So welcome so. to our uh, our Halloween edition uh, of We Bought a Mic. Okay. So we are doing th- this is after the first segment. Yeah, we haven't for just a little inside baseball. We haven't even fucking recorded that shit yet. Yeah, we, but you'll be listening to this after yeah. the fact. Yeah. So here's a. So it's basically like time travel. So like you just traveled back in time. Just like we're traveling back in time to Halloween, even though Halloween technically already passed. Even but though it was last night. I thought that you were going to be like, just like we travel back in time and Back to the Future, my favorite Halloween movie. <laughs> Did you guys have a good Halloween? I had, we had a very pleasant Happy Halloween. November 1st. I had a solid one. We had a nice uh, little house party at our place. I got too drunk at some point along the night and I woke up regretting it. But, you know. It was a good party. That's how it goes. Yeah, yeah. we had a good time. So, what we're going to do for this spooky segment is we're going to talk about our favorite horror movies slash Halloween themed movies. Spookfest. So, spooky. I want to start off by 
saying, should we, do you guys want to get into Stranger Things now since it's pretty Halloween-y? Let's just yeah. get it out of the way. Okay. Yeah, I, I've only seen the first episode, so I'm yeah. kind of taking my Me time too. with well, it. Okay, so first of all, what do you guys think of season one? I think it's good all the way up until the last two episodes. Then it gets a little shaky there with the ending. I think it's actually really great. I understand why a lot of people hate on it for being sort of a rehash of all these things. But yeah. I think it, I think it, it, does it, well. it pays homage yeah. to all these films like Alien and you know Stephen King and Spielberg. Um, just like 80s, like the 80s are so cool, you know? Yeah. They're so cool. It's a very cool. rich time for yeah. Like look how cool the 80s are. Just look. Yeah, look, look how cool they are. We remember, we were all there. Yeah, we were like college in the 80s. Yeah, that was crazy. Man, wild, um, right? But yeah, I, I like season one. It's, I mean, it, it's been said, it's not original. Uh, it's just, it's good, you know? It's, it's like a cheeseburger. Like, you've had it before, but like, if you have a good cheeseburger, it's still good. You know, it's like pizza. It's just, it's like comfort food. Yeah, I mean. What other food is it like? It's like, <laughs> it's like a nice uh, bolognese. Oh, it's like right. an ice cream sundae with some hot fudge on it and yeah. cherry on top. Mm-hmm. And Winona Ryder. Yeah, which she's the cherry. Hot okay. fudge, or did you mean hot fuzz? Also, yeah. So that leads into wait. Now let's <laughs> let's. <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. It was just too good of a transition. God damn it, Hunter. <laughs> Let's stay on Stranger Things 2 okay. for at least a yes. minute. Okay, so I've seen the first three episodes now of the new season, and I I was honestly expecting this. It's it's the same. It's still good. It's, you know, they figured out... Wait, you saw the first three? Seasons? Yeah. Okay. Since, I mean, the Duffer Bros have established that they, you know, they know the playbook and they're good at executing it. They're not going to bring anything super new to the table. Uh, and that's what season two does. It keeps it decently fresh while having the same cast of characters and almost a very similar story, obviously. Right. Except, you know, Will's not done, like gone. Or yeah. Well, I'm hoping that with this new season, it'll kind of come into its own a little bit more instead of just being a constant homage, like member fest. Member fest. Oh, shit. I remember. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's the second season, so it doesn't have to... Yeah. Harken back to all these yeah, old things. I will say, uh, throughout the first three eps, it's still a member fest. It's so... Of course it is. I mean, we, I saw the first episode, Ernest and I both saw the first episode, and it's... I mean, it's it's a good show. Like, yeah. that's all I can say about it. It's not transcendent or anything like that. I feel like one of the things that is actually it's come back to this show is how much of a, like, public outcry this show receives oh. from people, and how yeah. much, like, fanfare there is, because it's really not that warranted. Well... I feel like it'd be better if it was just like a really under the radar show that we could watch and just be like, oh man, this because it does it does a really good job of capturing like these kids in this time. Yeah, it that it kind of harkens harkens back to my famous cheeseburger reference. That it just whoa, that's or, a member well, right no, there. Just, like it's just or pizza even more like because it's just accessible. Anyone likes pizza, you know. It's not like it's not going to change the world, but like. Unless you're lactose intolerant. Okay. You know, actually, one thing I've kind of been noticing about this show that is a little bit more apparent now that it's in its second season is Netflix has figured out that it's you can really rely 
on how well liked the cast is on social media to promote your show. Yeah, like look all at Finn of Wolfhard. yeah, all of these He's, kids have really good internet presence. Yeah, and like everyone loves them. Everyone wants to see them hanging out and seeing what they're up mm-hmm. to, and that sells the show. Oh yeah, I mean people. Yeah, it, it became a huge phenomenon. Like it was massive last year. This was like the you know the biggest show outside of Game of Thrones probably. Oh yeah. Um, and so you know, there's a ton of hype around it. With most things that have all the hype in the world, maybe there are things that could deserve more hype, you know, that are not getting it when this is getting it. But it's still a good show. It delivers anything that a wide audience would want. Mm-hmm. You know, it gives you... And it doesn't feel cheap. Yeah, it's not... It's definitely... Yeah, it has decent CG. Uh, it has good acting. It's it's pretty well written. It's very well shot. The Duffer Brothers are good directors. Yeah, no, that's... I'd say that's one of the best things about the show. Yeah. And uh, they do a good job. I mean, of course, we've now seen... Uh, Winona Ryder, of course, is known for being a great actress. And Finn Wolfhard is kind of proving himself more to be a better actor. But it seems like they're getting the best out of these actors. Oh, yeah. And uh, Gaten Maserato, the baby-faced little boy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dustin, yeah. I think all the child acting is great. Yeah, they, yeah. they kill it. Which also, good child acting is often indicative of good directing. Uh and so, it, yeah, it's just all around, it's a solid production. I still just really wish, and one thing that I, I hoped for, but of course, after I watched Stranger Things before it became an internet phenomenon, and after watching it, all like all I really thought to myself is like, wow, I really hope this is an anthology series, because I don't feel like I need to I was to hoping for that, yeah. I, like, I just don't know, I mean, I understand why they continued with these kids, seeing as how... It's so hard to get good child actors. Yeah. And when you find great child actors, you don't just want to like ditch them and try yeah, to find and, some new kid actors. And they just saw the anthology idea fail so hard with True Detective, where you had these two iconic characters, and then they're just like, no, here's Colin Farrell. And it's like, well, where, where's my boy? Right. Um, so, I'm, yeah, I'm sure that was weighing in their minds, where they were like, well, people love this cast. It's not just, it's not just like what's happening. Like These characters mean a lot to people. And it seems like a like it's, you know, setting up to be a true sequel as well, and not just a repetition of the plot of the first yeah. one. And they, yeah, they're calling it Stranger Things too. Yeah, I, um, to keep with the whole cinematic homage thing. But do you guys think that? I mean, does this show suffer from Netflix's model of dumping everything at once? And would it work better if it was released? All right, here's the first episode. A week later, all right, here's two more episodes. Two more um, episodes. I actually, that's an interesting concept to just dump like two or three at a time. Netflix doesn't really yeah. do that. I know, no, they, I don't. know that they don't, yeah. but I'm just saying, yeah. do you think that that would benefit the show more? It, it may, uh, but I think that Netflix is too in deep with giving you the binge mode thing to like change their model all of a sudden. You you have a pretty good point that maybe. I, I mean, feel like it, I just feel like a show like this. I mean, I kind of ended up binging through the first season, but after like. Finishing it, it was like, well, I kind of wish I would have taken my time more episode to episode. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do, yeah. Really try to, like, watch yeah. an episode, sit on it, think about it, yeah. what it was. Plus, I mean, they're pretty long episodes, so it's easier to just... And there's watch. only eight of them, right? Yeah. Like and with- at least, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but at least, <laughs> uh, I will say, I'm not sure as far as the second season goes, but the first season doesn't really feel super episodic. Like, there aren't real, like, beats to each episode, because it kind of all just flows like together movie. as an eight-hour movie. Yeah, it's a, a, yeah they're, they're kind of going with that type of deal in the second season. They introduced a few new characters, 
There's this new hot stud in town. Bob? Oh, wait, no, the, the uh, great value Zac Efron. <laughs> oh, yes. Discount Zac yeah. Efron. Yeah, like 40-year-old Zac Efron playing an 18-year-old. Yeah, uh, but also Bob, who is Sean Austin. Yeah, Sh- yeah Sean yeah, out of nowhere. Sam Ast- Sam from uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, playing a goofy-ass stepdad who's like fat all of a sudden. Yeah, he loves saw, Kenny Chesney. When I saw him in there, I was like... <laughs> what, is, what is he doing in here? Yeah, that's wild. Samwell? And he is. What is? What does he have? A balloon. Anubis now is holding a balloon from the party. Relic. Um, <laughs> All right. Any other thoughts on Stranger Things, guys? No, I, I think yeah, I think that's good. I mean, everyone talks about it. We don't need to. Yeah, we can talk about it a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll watch more. through the rest of the of the cool. season and then touch back uh, once we finish it up. So let's get to our main segment, our Halloween extravaganza special, where we're going to break down some of our favorite uh, spooky slash horror movies. And right off the bat, I want to say that, you know, my parents, my family, they didn't, my parents really weren't into horror movies growing up. So I wasn't exposed to a lot of the classic horror films like Hellraiser or Friday the 13th. Same with me. And when I was like a little kid, I was a little scaredy cat. I, I I didn't enjoy the feeling of being scared. Yeah, me kid. too. I remember being totally terrified of signs. Like I remember watching signs when I was probably like nine, eight or nine, and it scared the fucking shit out of me. The ring gave me fucking nightmares. Yeah, I heard. Yeah, I heard that movie traumatized a lot of people, and yeah. that, I would love to go back and see it now as an adult. Mm. Halloween too. You know, there's people that um, say that Halloween fucking traumatized them when they were a kid. So. It's just a movie. So basically, I should be the one to just take over this segment because I'm the only one here. No, well, yeah. um, So I think I I I was scared by scary movies a lot, but I've always been the type of person that like I love to be scared. I love when stuff unsettles me and unnerves me. Now I see. Now I like that. Even as like a kid, like I always loved watching that. Like it's really corny now but i mean just some of the stuff on my on my favorite movies uh favorite classic horror movies is stuff that's really kind of corny now but it just i watched it as a kid and it was stuff that terrified me so just to kind of get right into our list here i kind of broke mine down by classic horror modern horror and family horror kind of stuff so uh i mean just an example of what i was just talking about is that the original amityville horror you watch it now, it comes across as really corny, but I remember watching this movie all the time as a kid, and it, it terrified me. Like, the idea of this house, just the imagery of this house, seeing it, it just looks like two eyes looking back at you. Monster House. Monster House. Dan Harmon's yeah. Monster House. <laughs> yeah, Dan Harmon's, that's, uh, hey, that's on, that's on the family horror. We'll get there eventually. But basically you're saying that as a child you were definitely able to understand that this was just a movie, and you weren't, you know... You yes. you didn't let yourself get like psychologically messed up. Well, I mean, well, let's, we let's not go that far. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I had as much like nightmares and stuff as like the other kids, but it was still other things. Like, I uh, I just recently rewatched uh, Friday the Thirteenth, which I don't know if you guys have ever seen the original Friday the Thirteenth movie, but it almost looks like really indie. Like, you can tell it's like super super low budget, and it's still like it's, it's 
kind of corny-ish now whenever you watch it, but you, like watching it for the first time, you're like, even watching it now after years and years of watching it, there's a little bit of a twist and you're like, oh shit, like I forgot about that. Like that's kind of surprising. And and now there's been like 10 more of those movies. Yeah, but that's what happens with all these slasher movies. I mean, that's Remade really into oblivion. To, you really have to give credit to the originals just because they're such great ideas. Like, I mean, look at Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street, like Freddy Krueger might be my favorite like slasher type prototype of a character just because he has a very well-defined set of rules to how he can get it's such a cool concept yeah it's just like just don't it's all these kids who are like we can't go to sleep if we fall asleep that's when he comes like it's it's very well defined where is when you take something like the latest it movie that we just saw um of course i've heard i've never finished the book but i've heard that uh pennywise and uh it's powers are more well-defined in the book, but in the movie, it kind of comes across at different times as you're like, well, he's just chasing after these kids, and I don't really know, like, why exactly. Like, he's feeding off of their fear. I get that, but why wouldn't he just, like, fucking eat them instead of just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, I, I've heard that, too, that in the in the book, his, his powers are, like, you, you way more understand what his deal is. Yeah. And, you know, it gets more into, like, the symbolism I, I may be wrong, but I feel like a common little like theme with these 80s horror movie villains is that they're really the only thing you care about in these movies. You don't really give a shit about any of the human oh, yeah, characters. No, that's, like that's you're there for, you're there for Freddy, you're there for Jason, you're there for Chucky, like you know yeah, that yeah, even Jigsaw. Yeah, you exactly or right. yeah, like you don't even give a shit because you know that, you know, these people are probably going to die or yeah, they're not like going to have props, any basically. And yeah. You, you know, that actually leads into another uh, movie on my list, which comes out of that same time period, the horror genre, but it's a movie in which you do care about the humans, and that's what makes it such a great movie, and that is Alien. Alien, like, is one of those movies where, first time you watch Alien, I mean, granted, it's Sigourney Weaver, so you know Sigourney Weaver is going to be the lead here, but watching it, it goes around, it gives you time with each character on the ship, so you don't really know who you're following around on this journey True. that you're going on. So you would call Alien a horror? Um, I'd, I, well, okay. sci-fi horror. We, we, I ran into this problem on my list here. Where yeah, me too. When you're talking about horror, you really have to go, especially in modern day, what's considered horror, this fine line between what's thriller and what's horror. Yeah. I more thought about it in when it's October and I'm looking for something spooky to watch. Would I consider this right. in my spooky? Yeah, that's fair, because one problem that I wanted to bring up that I have with the genre of horror is a lot of the time it's almost too empty if it's just horror. Like, I find myself more gravitating toward movies that, like, some people will call horror, but others will call, like, psychological thriller, something like The Shining. Okay, um, well, that's... So would you guys call that a horror movie? Well, okay, that's a good transition, because... um. As you guys might have noticed, listeners, I sat in the corner silently whenever they were talking about what they've been watching. Um, I was saving it all for just for this segment right here. Yeah, Hunter so, was just turning beet red. <laughs> so, uh, yesterday, I had the chance to see The Shining in theaters, which was, or two days ago, excuse me. Two days ago, I had the chance to see The Shining in theaters, and it was an amazing experience. It's one of those. You used your that, movie pass? I did use my. Oh. Your movie pass is a time machine, guys. Yeah. It'll take you back to wherever you want to go. 
Well, this was the first time you ever got a chance to see a, a Kubrick movie on the big screen, Exactly, right? yeah. Well, no, we saw... Yeah, yeah, this is the first time that I got to see a Kubrick movie on the big screen, which it was, it was awesome, like, seeing it, it in theaters. It sucks you in, things, man. One of those movies, because, of course, it's already been talked about over and over again about how well that movie is shot and how well it's constructed, but the sound in that movie is really what keeps you in it. It's so unnerving and, like, unsettling... I actually have a funny story about whenever I was in the theater just now watching it. So, uh, I'm watching this theater. It's a pretty full theater. Uh, one of the local uh, cinemas here in Orlando. And uh, there was this couple, like college-age couple, sitting in front of me. And uh, it reached this point in the movie, the point where uh, room 237 is opened up and Jack goes inside and he finds the naked woman taking the bath. Um, so, at this part, um, Jack, like... You know, they start, like, going in, and they start making out, but you just hear that, like, high-pitched ringing and the noise and everything. All of a sudden, like, he looks in the mirror, sees her body deteriorating, and I realize, looking in front of me, this couple in front of me is just making out, like, hardcore. <laughs> and the most unsettling nudity scene in any film, like, ever. They're just, like, fucking going to town on each other. Even when it point, cuts to... I'm hearing, like, lips smacking. <laughs> oh, yeah. The guy's yeah. just like, no. oh, God, I see those they, like, they looked over when they see... The grotesque the, version. The, the, her decaying body, yeah. and then they just go back out. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? You know, at at that point, they just start mounting each other and just, like, ripping their clothes off. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then they have to be kicked out of the they theater. Say, they say that part for the blowjobs. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which, by the way, I feel like Shelley Duvall does not get enough credit for her job. In that, uh, she that definitely movie. doesn't. Because uh, she's just known for being like, oh, oh, Jack, Jack. Yeah. But, like, she's great. And she's also, movie. yeah, she's also known for the famous anecdote that uh, Kubrick would kind of run her into the fucking ground mm-hmm. when they were doing takes. And he would make her do, like, a hundred takes just to, like really psychologically fuck with her in real life. Yeah, a lot of that emotion is, is real it's because really she's really actually terrified. Time. She's yeah giving real so, tears. Yeah, so you're right. She doesn't get enough credit because that's a lot of bullshit to go through. Um, and she had a great performance in it. Because, I mean, obviously Jack is going to get the spotlight because Jack is like, you know, he's a... He's Even a Danny player. gets a ton of, like, credit for just one of the great child performances. Yeah, that's true. Red Ram. Red Ram. Red Ram. Red Ram. So this this whole notion of like genre um, being you know mixed and mashed when it comes to horror, I look at my list and I see a lot of you know quote unquote horror films that you could really categorize as other things. Uh, I mean, keeping with we're talking classics right now, so I'm just looking at Terminator. Or uh, okay. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice is a horror comedy. I have, I actually have Beetlejuice in my family horror. Okay. But well, I there's mean, a yeah, lot yeah. of stuff in Beetlejuice that is like it's really intense. Family, yeah. yeah. No, but even Terminator, like Terminator, that's not a family I friendly. I have Jaws on my list. Jaws as well. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's a monster movie. It, it follows all the beats of a monster movie. It's but true. It's, it's just more not rooted really in, a horror. Yeah, it's just more rooted in reality. Exactly. It's, it's still very tense. and yeah. scary. Um. But yeah. So what? What about? Halloween movies that aren't scary. And you know that I'm talking about Halloween Town. Hey. Whoa. <laughs> okay. All okay. Right. So we're skipping down to family horrors. Oh, I didn't know. Disney we Channel original movie, Halloween Town, and Halloween Town 2, Calabar's Revenge. And Halloween Town High. Uh, if that's not the same thing as Halloween Town 2. No, it's, that's a different. That's, okay. uh, no. Yeah. 
No, Halloween Town, especially <laughs> the first one, I've I've seen that movie so many times. It's, it's a great original. movie. Yeah, dude, it's a great movie. Like there there's so many great, great like Halloween Halloween family movies and stuff. It just kinda I watched them as a kid, they'd get me in the mindset and I'd be like, Alright, now I'm ready to go see Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> this is stuff that my six year old mind would do. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> But uh, I, I, I I love Halloween Town. I have a couple other like family horror movies. Adam's Family. Yeah. Yeah. Spooky. Yeah. Um, and then of course there's a uh, there are plenty of uh, horror genre like uh, musicals that you could put in there, like Little Shop of Horrors, Sweeney Todd, Rocky Horror. Rocky Picture Show. Yeah, Rocky Horror. Yeah. All classics. Very spooky. Also Casper. When was the last time you guys saw Casper? Wow. I was so Casper, small. Right? I was yeah. a wee boy. Casper. Voiced by Macaulay Culkin. Is that true? And I mean, it might have been a remake, honestly, but in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking yeah. about. That's the, the Casper. Oh, that's, that's Macaulay. That's isn't that um? Isn't that what's her name um? Hillary Duff. Isn't she the girl in that? Um. What? Isn't Hillary yes. Duff like a little girl? Blow my mind on the fucking cast of Casper. Um, oh no, it's it's Christina Ricci. Is Bill Pullman in that movie? Yeah, he yeah, is. R.I.P. Yeah. Oh, man. So great. Arguably um, his best performance. So it's not true. Another reason I didn't get super into horror until later in life was because my first exposure to horror was uh, like the later 2000s theater horror movies, which for the most part suck. I'm Like, honestly. Oh, yeah. No, modern horror for the most part is it's, it's trash. Wait, real, real quick. Uh, Hillary Duff was in a Casper film in 1998. Casper right. meets Wendy. Yeah. Oh, guy beat it to me. Yeah. Um, beat me to it. But yeah, so it, it took me a while to realize, oh, you just have to kind of delve back and you'll find so much good shit. And just look, you know, you got to look a little harder. Um, I mean, there's still, but that's what, I mean, because for the most part, we have this whole, like, jump scare movement in horror movies, which is really kind of taking away from the filmmaking and the script writing yeah. of horror films. I think yeah. uh, uh, Paranormal Activity contributed a lot to oh, that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Which yeah. is a great movie. I love the first Paranormal Activity. Yeah, I can't say that I've ever seen it since the time that I saw it in theaters, but I remember we were in, like, ninth grade whenever we saw that, and that movie, that's probably, like, the most terrifying movie experience that I've ever had. I remember... <laughs> Uh, I, we went to this movie, uh, me and a few friends, and uh, one of our friends, Alex Bowden, friend of the pod. Um, <laughs> Whoa, that he has no idea takes this me back. I haven't heard that name in years. <laughs> no, he, uh, he went with us to the theater. Heather bought our tickets because... Uh, it was rated R. It was rated R, yeah. and we were all like 13, 14. Um, and uh, we went in to go see this movie, and we sat down in the theater... And the previews came on, and Alex was like, fuck this shit, I'm out of here. <laughs> and went to go see Where the Wild Things <laughs> And then he was, like, emotionally fucked up from that. <laughs> he walked out, and he was just like, yeah, it was solid. It was it was and we, like, walk out of the theater, and we're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I remember we stayed up until the sun rose that morning. We all slept, like, over wow. at Alex's house. And we stayed up until the sun rose, and we, we like, kept hearing, like, noises yeah. in his garage. Uh, we would go in there and, be, like, bring, like, baseball bats and weapons with us. Like, yeah, we're about to fuck uh, up a ghost right now. That's fun. <laughs> See, yeah, that's the kind of fun shit about horror. When you're, especially when you're young, can really, it can capture your imagination. Because I, I don't remember what movie it was, but in eighth grade, I had a very similar thing. Where I saw a scary movie at a friend's house, and then we stayed over, and like none of us could sleep. But it was fun because of that. 
Um, I think that, uh, well, I think that one good way, which it started, um, I think Sam Raimi kind of started the movement of taking this whole idea of jump scares and horror movies and turning it on its head and making horror comedy. Sam Raimi is kind of the godfather of that with... Evil Dead. Evil Dead, which the first Evil Dead is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. And then Evil Dead 2, it didn't... Do, I mean, of course, now it's, like, beloved by everyone, but at the time, people didn't know what to think of it because it's one of those movies that you see, it and it's so over-the-top and so crazy that you're laughing at points. Yeah. Like, Wait, should I be laughing? But it's also right really, horrified? really gory. Oh, it's extremely gory. Yeah. It, like, it, it takes full advantage and now, of that and takes it to another level. And now at this point, you, you know, this was in the 90s, mm. it's become a whole subgenre, and we have films like What We Do in the Shadows, Taika Waititi, and Shaun of the Dead, mm. Edgar Wright, and... Um, Cabin in the Woods, Back Joss, the Joss yeah. Whedon. Cabin in the Woods is the one I wanted to bring up because that is one of my favorite. I know it's like it's almost more parody than it is horror, unless you don't get it. In which case, I mean, I'm sure plenty of people just thought it was horror. Like they didn't get the whole thing that it was. It's just, so meta. Yeah, the entire thing. If you haven't seen it, I can't recommend it. It enough. takes a wild turn on you where you think you're just watching like a very straightforward story, and you realize that it's. Yeah. He's so aware of what it is. It yeah. another level. It becomes crazy. You want to know who another uh, godfather of this uh, like horror comedy genre was is, surprisingly enough, for a lot of people who don't know, Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson, he only made a couple small films before he took over the Lord of the Rings movies, but one of those films is Dead Alive, which is one of the goriest movies ever. Oh, wow. It involves, I really, really highly recommend it to you guys. It's pretty hard to find. I have the DVD which is honestly, it's rare to even find the DVD of Dead Alive. Wow. But um, it's it's about this guy who uh, is like a zombie beast comes in and it bites his, like, his mother who he's taking care of. And his mother is trying to get in with this like fancy club of people. And so he has to like kind of like a uh, 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 weekend at Bernie's group. <laughs> this, oh, this no. zombie. And then the zombie bites these other people who come visit. It's hilarious. And it's so over the top wow. and wild. It's a great, great That's movie. Fun. Yeah, nobody, nobody talks about Peter Jackson's original movies. Yeah, he, he, before that, he, it looks like he made something in 1987 called Bad Taste. Yeah, which was actually on at the party that we went to on Saturday at uh, Lee's house. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was on in the background, <laughs> spooky background. Film. I saw that and I was like, what is this? And somebody was like, oh, it's Bad Taste, Peter Jackson. I was like, oh, shit, no. That's <laughs> Um, on a different note, what, do you guys like Blair Witch? Ooh, okay, that was another one I was going to bring up, because that one um, was released about 10 years before Paranormal Activity, and it did the whole Paranormal Activity thing way better and way sooner than it, because yeah. that Blair Witch Project was a film that was being passed around via VHS, Yeah, and people thought that it was a real thing. They didn't realize that it was that's, a movie. That's what's so cool about some horror movies, is when they take on a life of their own, and they have, like, The Ring was the same thing. There was, like, that whole movement of whenever The Ring came out, it was like, if you watch The Ring, then you have seven, seven days. Yeah, yeah, like, it was that whole same thing where you're like, shit, did I just watch 
something? Like, is this, is this movie haunted? Yeah. Like, just by watching it's, this. Yeah, it's a wild movie. I uh, love the Blair Witch Project. That, yeah, that is the, the movie that turned me to horror. Where I was like, oh, this this is like an art form. Like, this can be really, really good. But it, it does it in such a original way because they were operating with no budget. Yeah. Some of the actors are non-actors or, you know, based on, like, real people. There's only, like, three main characters in the film. Yeah. And they're just lost in the woods most of the time there's no nothing really happening but that's what makes it so great is that they don't show you the witch you don't actually see this big monster because there's a big thing like especially in modern horror movies with the like furthering of cgi and stuff that they want to show you this elaborate monster and they want to show you these things but when you show somebody the monster it takes away a little bit of that tension that fear it, it's just it takes away that suspension of, like, oh my god, I'm in this world. Like, I don't know what this is that's yeah. coming for me. Blair Witch, yeah, you do not see it. Like, this, and it, it's incredible how, like, via the process of the entire film and the context of it, they make someone standing in a corner the scariest thing you've ever seen. Yeah. It's yeah. just someone standing facing a corner and you're like, you're shaking. It's yeah. so scary. That's that's good film, and it and it's one of the best endings of any movie, horror or not. Yeah. Just because it's it builds up to this very simple shot that is so effective, and that it's really the one of the most memorable shots in the whole film. Yeah, it's it's incredible. That's yeah, that's good horror. Now that we're sort of talking about more modern horror here, what do you guys think of? Uh, you know, going back to what we were talking before about like clashing genres and like mixed genres, Donnie Darko. Okay, uh, Hunter, I have you seen Donnie Darko, Hunter? I, I'm not familiar. Is it, it, <laughs> is Donald, it Donald is Darko? That, uh, Jack, Jacob Gyllenhaal? Gyllenhaal? Yeah, it's a Maggie Gyllenhaal movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think, I mean, okay. I, I could see why it could be put in the horror genre. I personally wouldn't consider it a horror movie, but it's still it has that whole same thing where it's how it's based in Halloween. Like yeah. it's it's a Halloween movie. But um, it's more sci-fi, really. I mean it's like Yeah. You could categorize this movie as so many different so things. So many different things. It's I mean, Donnie Darko is of course like I've talked about it before, it's one of my favorite films ever. I I absolutely adore that movie. Mm-hmm. Um as much as I do S Darko, though. Uh, uh, no. Why? Why? Don't Did mention you, that. Did you almost forget that I existed because it does. Um, no, I mean, <laughs> Daddy Darko, uh, like, I think that that's the point that we've reached where, for the most part, uh, cheap slasher movies don't really work anymore, and there has to be a bit of mixing of genres. For example, I just saw uh, Happy Death Day, expecting it to be just a stupid, dumb slasher movie. But the reason why it wasn't just, like, the reason why it was escalated from a 4 to, like, a 6 or a 7, even, is because there was more to it than that. And there was more heart. You care about the people in it more than just, like, looking out for this creepy monster that's coming for you. I mean, and even people got away with it, like, just, like, a decade ago. Look at movie, like, uh, Jeepers Creepers, which was a movie that... Me out as a kid watching it. I know it's like really dumb now if you watch Jeepers Creepers, but especially because it's made by a pedophile. Yeah, especially when you know like he was touching tots while making that movie. I didn't know Kevin Spacey made Jeepers Creepers. Whip <laughs> 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 yeah. topical. Oh, <laughs> you guys already talked about that in the film news section that I already wrote here for. 
right? Yeah, man. Uh, Surely we did. Yeah. Okay, so keeping on the same little topic of like of uh, mixed genre films, I I just have a couple written down that I really want to consider horror, but aren't truly horror. American Psycho. I love American Psycho. That's a great movie. That movie gets gory. Yeah. Yeah, it's very gory, but It's, it's it's. it's just such a funny. That's movie. why there's things. It's, it's it's takes a modern. It, it yeah. really is the modern day slasher. What the most realistic person yeah. who would be a sociopath in modern day America would yeah. be. And it's also hilarious. Yeah, can we agree <laughs> that that's Christian Bale's best performance? I yeah, absolutely. That's my favorite of all time. Yeah, I. I it's hard to argue another performance. His, his monologues are incredible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Lewis in the news. Oh my god, yeah, found their best work. Um, hey man, uh, American Hustle. Okay. It's hit to be <laughs> I don't even remember American Hustle. Did it even exist? <laughs> I don't think it did. It was it was three hours that I wish I was sleeping during. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty sure that was just a preview. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, another one I have written down on here: Black Swan. The I've actually never seen the Black Darren Aronofsky Swan. film. I know I'm missing out on seeing. Black it's Swan. more of a character drama, but there yeah. are moments of true horror, like true psychological horror true. in that film. Yeah, in that vein, every Halloween, uh, I gotta just sit down by the fireplace and put on Mother. <laughs> <laughs> mother, just uh, Mother. That's uh, that. I'm not gonna. I don't think I'm ever gonna watch that movie. Yeah, I don't. I don't need to. We don't even need to talk about it. Let's Ooh, not talk one, about it. one we can actually get into. Probably one of, if not the best horror, modern horror film, The Witch. Okay, I was literally the, just the about bitch. To bring up the Witch. I the have itch. not seen this. Oh, I man. really recommend okay, it. Okay, especially because uh, we were just talking about Blair Witch Project, and they share more in common than just uh, oh, okay. a witch. I was about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, but, uh, I think the witch, it shows you the witch character, but, like, two minutes into the movie, and then it's, you don't ever see it again. It's one of those movies that's about the tension, it's about the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. There are these shots where it just, it lingers on the forest, and this, you just hear this, like, building music, and this, like, choir. It's like a screeching choir. Yeah, it sounds Mm -hmm. horrifying. And And it's just a shot of the woods, and you're just like... You were You're so freaking out. I'm, like, yeah, I'm a big fan of good horror scores. Like not just like the you know the the violence before the jump, but just in general, like a slow build like that has the biggest effect on me. Well, because yeah. that it it builds a lot to the atmosphere, and I think that that is the most important thing to a horror movie is atmosphere. Yeah. That's what makes that's what escalates a horror movie from being like stupid and fun to like really unsettling yeah. and like. Really affecting you. And, and we should say, if you want a really good, like, simple but very thorough explanation of the problem with modern horror, Chris Stuckman has a video on YouTube of the very same name, I'm pretty sure, The Problem with Modern Horror. Yeah. And it goes really in-depth on the difference between good and bad. And, and, and he touches on sound design and how, yeah, like, exactly. all of these cheap scares have, like, a really loud sound effect yeah. behind <laughs> them to highlight the, yeah. hey, be scared. Hey, this is when you jump. Yeah. yeah so eventually it's just like they, they, they're blowing up the balloon and then just popping it over and over. So it doesn't really have the same effect. Hello. Hi. Oh, hey. Um, but I do think that there is a place for more traditional horror in the modern day sense. If you look at maybe like The Conjuring, 
The Conjuring is a very, it's a straightforward that's, horror story, but it's very, very well done. Yeah, that's a good point. I've seen that a couple times because it works. It's a yeah. good movie. Yeah, it is. And that is a movie, there is a jump scare in that movie, The Clap, that like, it gets to me every oh, time. Dude. Every time I know that it's coming, I know it's like, ha! Ah. Yeah, it's, that's, see, that's a movie that has the jump scares, but it also has slow but, It has both Yeah, both that's what it needs, is because it's not just jump scare, jump scare, jump scare. There's like really long builds to it and it's not just like oh, oh am I gonna do it am I gonna do it lots yeah. of fake outs because, and yeah because then an offshoot of The Conjuring Annabelle did that they did just more of like a jump scary type movie and there's so many just garbage films being put out into the world like <laughs> especially with horror like they can just pump them out you know it's like just formulated. cheap cheap yeah. movies yeah oh uh, so since you were mentioning earlier how you know you watched that movie and then you had you stayed up all night and you just like could not go to sleep, my parents had a story in like the early '90s. They went and they saw a movie, and they had to afterward they had to just go to like Albertsons or like a grocery store and just walk around in the light because they like didn't even want to go home. So well, guess, what movie was it? Yeah, guess what movie that is? Early '90s. Actually, scarier. Forrest Gump. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it was um Silence of the Lambs. Okay, I I actually I put Silence of the Lambs in my uh, in my list here just because yes. I think it's one of those very unnerving movies yeah. that it really affects you. Way more you unnerving it. than just outright frightening. Mostly due to Anthony Hopkins' performance. Yeah, yeah. great performance, great atmosphere of the movie. Yeah, very, extremely well directed. Jodie Foster is great as like you know she's our surrogate basically. She represents us. And yeah, like how disgusted we. Oh, um, another film from that era. Oh, wait, no. Early, you said... Early 90s. Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking 80s, sorry. I was going to mention The Exorcist. Okay, yeah. I, I, we actually, we skipped past a couple other... Yeah, that's like the OG. Thing. You know, yeah, The Exorcist is, it's incredible. Like, The Exorcist is a masterpiece. Another movie on here that, uh, in the classic horror genre, in the same kind of vein, is Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. Classic Polanski. Like, it's one of those movies that it's... It is horrifying. There are parts that are kind of comedic to it, but they're still like you're laughing, but you're unsettled while you're laughing. True. And it takes some wild twists and turns, and it's just one of those. I mean, like any, there's so many great classic horror movies. Like there was really a golden age for horror movies, and it was kind of started by Hitchcock with Psycho. And oh my God, that, Psycho! Yeah, I mean Psycho kind of started this whole thing. Yeah. Kubrick just like. Clockwork Orange, The Shining, so many Eyes Wide Shut, even like there yeah. are so many Kubrick films that can fit into this yeah. genre because Kubrick was such a big atmosphere guy. Yeah, and very psychological. Yeah, very all of those movies are extremely like in your head. Very I mean, I... Linden. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. I I have on my list. I I put a bunch of movies that I have still yet to get to that I know are classic films that again I just wasn't exposed to when I was a kid. Like. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Videodrome, Scanners, The Fly, Carrie, Nosferatu, like so There's many. There's a couple, yeah. I've seen, I've seen a few of those on that list. Of course, Carrie's great. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I saw whenever I was really, really young. The original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, but yeah, there's. I mean, I've always wanted to see Videodrome, Scanners. Uh, what was the other one that you said? Um, the Fly. Yeah, I've never seen The Fly. Yeah, me neither. Classic. I haven't seen one Cronenberg. Yeah, it, well, Cronenberg's like the master of body horror, yeah. you know, of just using practical effects to achieve absol yeah. absolute, like, disgust. He's kind you know? of, I mean, Sam Raimi's kind of from that tree, like, cut from the same cloth. 
Mm. Well, I, I think so... I think body horror and gore are like close, but not the same. You know, gore. Yeah. You know, something like Saw is just like limbs being thrown out and just blood yeah. everywhere. But the fly is a man like transforming yeah, into horror, an insect. Yeah, body horror is about your body changing. Yeah. Um, this is unrelated, but I just remembered uh, me me and Hunter for the audience were uh, roommates at UCF in the dorms together. One, you probably don't even know what story I'm about to tell. I don't. I have no idea what you're about to say. I had just pulled like an all-nighter. I was exhausted, and I was coming back from class. It was probably like noon. And I I walk into the room, into our dorm room, and you're just sitting there, like shirtless in your underwear, watching VHS. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, shit. I forgot that that was how I watched VHS. And it was like... The worst, it was the most disturbing <laughs> thing I've ever seen on a TV. You're just like staring at you, like, oh, it's so- <laughs> like, I think I just walked out. I was like, I don't want to watch this. <laughs> I completely forgot about that. I, hey, I, I actually I like the first VHS movie. Um, the second one is okay. I didn't even bother watching Viral because I saw the first one. I like the concept of VHS more than I like that's, VHS. Yeah, that's itself. what I was it's saying. like short films. Yeah, right? it's short films. Each of them are made by a different director. Yeah, so it's yeah. a whole different story. Like everything is different. Um, and then they're shared by like a common plot of like they're on a VHS tape that someone's watching, and it, it has that whole theme of like it's cursed or whatever. You know? Yeah, yeah, but um, it's it's not as like. Well, it's just some of them are really good, and then some of them are just fucking stupid. So it's a mixed bag. Yeah, I uh, I I don't know. I have kind of mixed feelings about VHS, but we brought it up. Brought up a couple times now. What do you guys think of the first Saw movie? It's a great movie. I, I, I love it. Yeah, I, I think it's awesome good. twist. Um, Carrie Elways from Princess Bride plays the doctor that is being tortured in that movie, and honestly, I think he does an awful job <laughs> uh, because he doesn't seem like a doctor being tortured. He seems like an actor being tortured. Yeah, <laughs> like his, his body language, his voice, and everything, and that really took me out of it. Honestly. The other thing that took me out of it, it's still a good movie, but uh, was the early 2000s post-grunge metal music. (laughs) (laughs) Like P.O.D. almost. Um, Oh, that reminds me. What do you guys think of Green Room? Oh, Um, we didn't even talk about Green Room. I forgot to even put that on my list. Great modern like slasher movie. Green Room is the best horror movie I've seen. That's come out in the past, like yeah. Four Have you seen it a second time? No. It it holds up. Oh yeah, it's great. Yeah, I I saw it once. We like streamed it one time together, and then I bought the Blu-ray and rewatched it. R.I.P. Anton Yelchin. Oh my god, dude, he's amazing. Such a good performance. He's great. You know what's uh, scarier than being stabbed by Nazis? Faulty Jesus. Oh boy. Oh god, too soon. Um, another movie that uh, I wanted to bring up. about it was uh have you guys ever seen 28 days later oh danny boyle yeah i've always uh, wanted to there's three of them we days we uh what is it days days, weeks weeks, and and months months. yeah Yeah. i've never seen months um i saw weeks a long time ago but days uh or i've never seen uh yeah i've never seen weeks or excuse me never seen months Mm -hmm. saw weeks long time ago but days i've seen multiple multiple times and uh i think 28 days later is I absolutely love that. Well, Weeks, one of the Weeks is not directed by Danny Boyle. Yeah, I mean... Only the first one is Danny true. Boyle. Um, so, with ultra-modern horror... Also, like, uh, Cillian Murphy's the star of 28 Days. Oh, true, yeah. Um, so, 
we we've gone over like like a movie like Green Room is very it's like almost a throwback movie because like you said it's a slasher and it's very simple and it's plotting. Um, as far as like ultra modern like where horror is going, there are two things I want to bring up. The first one is Get Out. Yes. Um, yeah. Be, yeah, because that's a whole new like Jordan Peele has stated that's a whole new genre. Of he horror. invented a new yeah, genre. Yeah. Social horror and it's really effective and that's horror is a good case study of what the biggest fear of a society is at the time that it's made, which is why back in the like 70s and 80s, it was all centered around like Antichrist, because everyone was religious. Mm. They were terrified of that shit. Um, and then, you know, in the like, more to the 90s and 2000s, it became just about like random psychos, because the news gave them a platform, and we became aware of these people that are just going around and killing people. Yeah. Um, so Get Out is the future, and then the other uh, future is now type horror is Black Mirror. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, yeah. That's true. Um, it's, it's purely like psychological and yeah. It's not. Yeah, it's not. There true are horror. episodes of Black Mirror that are truly horrific. Oh, I mean, look at a uh, test play. Yeah, the um, from play the test. season play test. Play yeah, test. Yeah. Dan yeah. Trachtenberg. Yeah, featuring Kurt Russell's uh, less attractive but probably more talented son. <laughs> um, that, yeah, that that was like a straight up horror movie. That's the only Black Mirror that is like a horror. Yeah, movie. but I would still probably say it's still like very psychological horror, and just in that. Black Mirror spends so much time putting you in that universe that you really set yourself in the position of the characters, and it's extremely yeah. unnerving, and it gets to you, and you're like, what these characters end up going through, it seems like a nightmare, mm-hmm. like a waking nightmare. Mm-hmm. And if you're like some people who I won't name, and you can't get past the first episode because he fucks a pig for 45 minutes. And I don't see what's wrong with that. Give, give the rest of it a shot. Oh yeah, that's true, I did. I mean, make you watch the rest. The rest, but yeah, it's it's a great show. It's not going to be like standard horror. Obviously, it's not going to like. There's not going to be gore, and it's not going to like freak the fuck out of you. But it's just going to make you feel unsettled. Also, Black Mirror is one of those things that we should say. It's all anthology for people who don't know. So you can watch any episode. Yeah, exactly. Like if you just if somebody recommends to you a specific episode, like for example, um, the uh, the history of everything, like I'm going to do right now. You can just watch that episode. Yeah. You don't have to watch every other yeah. episode of the series. That's, that's my favorite episode. It's called The Entire History of You. Yeah, that's what yeah. it is. And yeah, that's an incredible one. Nosedive is great. And they all have, you know, they have the similar vein, obviously, of technology gone wrong, but they're very different tonally. They'll all yeah, make absolutely. you feel unsettled, but they, their execution is very different. You guys know um, um, Robert Downey Jr. bought the film rights to that episode, and he wants to adapt it into a movie? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard about that. That's... Um, I don't know about him doing it. I don't know about that. Yeah. I'm about someone doing it. Do you know uh, Mark Wahlberg has the rights to the Amory Wars universe for cinematic? Do you guys know that Mark Wahlberg has the rights to every New England uh, tragedy for the next 15 years? You know, yeah, Mark Wahlberg is going to stage another Boston Marathon. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Hatred State 2. That's what I heard. (laughs) This time it's personal. This podcast is brought to you by Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Mark Wahlberg. He committed a hate crime. <laughs> he really did in the eighties. Yeah, against uh, Transformer. <laughs> against an Impenta. Say to your mother for me. <laughs> a Vietnamese Impenta. Optimus, you gotta take an interest in science. <laughs> Come on. Say oh, to your no. mother for me. Speaking of horror, oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> Just watch Watch Age of Extinction. Okay. <laughs> Talk about modern horror. Alright, as we as we wrap it up, there was one other movie I wanted to mention, give a quick little shout out to Under the Skin. 
starring Scarlett Johansson. Okay. That's a weird one. That, you yeah. know what? That actually makes me think Under the Skin and I think Nightcrawler can kind of both go together whenever it comes to the horror genre. Yeah, just like creepy movies. Really, really creepy and mm-hmm. you don't understand this character and that's what like is unsettling the most yeah. to you. I love Nightcrawler. Oh, yeah, Nightcrawler, not, oh, Nightcrawler and Under the Skin. Nightcrawler is a movies. better film than Under the Skin, I would yeah. say. Yeah, I yeah. mean, Under the Skin is very, very abstract. Yeah. Mm. Um, Nightcrawler is a more, it's it's original, but it's more of like a straightforward plot where you understand what's happening. Yeah. I, um, Under the Skin is, is based on a short story, I think. A, a novella of some sort. Yeah, it, yeah. I, I, it's based on something fucking weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Nightcrawler is another really good one that just gives you a feeling. The theme music gives you, it, it contributes to the feeling. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's acting contributes. And then just the coldness of everything that's happening. It's a slow build. It gets slowly more and more fucked up. But you, you're you already unsettled before anything really fucked up mm-hmm. even happens. So then when it does, it's just it has the best effect. Because you're like, ah, oh, there it is. Yeah. yeah. It's, and it's also the score true. is like a heroic score. Yeah, exactly. So That's, it yeah, clashes yeah. completely it's in the positive. best way. Yeah, you would think that he's like saving someone. Because that's the way he views it. You know, you're in the perspective of the character. Yeah, yeah it's also a scathing uh, critique of capitalism. Yeah, and like cable news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The whole news circuit in general. Um, um, this isn't a transition at all, but another thing that I forgot to uh, mention earlier, speaking of uh, news, um, I just saw Nightmare Before, Chris- or Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, if you guys didn't get that, catch that. If you didn't catch that little nugget that we yeah. threw in there for you. <laughs> it was it was an Easter egg. Not very many people found it. Well if you got it. Um, yeah. another thing that while sitting here silently through the first part of this podcast, uh, I saw Nightmare Before Christmas yesterday in mm-hmm. theaters, and I think that's my favorite Halloween movie. Whenever it comes to Halloween, every single year I watch Nightmare Before Christmas. Like it's wow. just it's just it's amazing. Danny Elfman is Absolutely, like the score and everything is just incredible. It's a beautiful story. Uh, I have a question for you guys. Do you consider Nightmare Before Christmas more of a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie? Halloween. Yeah, definitely Halloween. I don't. I don't know anyone who watches that at Christmas. Oh, I watch it at Christmas. Okay, well, yeah. Okay, fine. <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies ever. I, I watch it at Halloween. It's more centered on the Halloween aspect. It's starring a skeleton. Yeah. I think it's a Halloween. But it's about bringing Christmas to Halloween Town. Yeah. I mean, it's you can make an argument for both, but I think people would assume. You know, the nightmare comes before the Christmas. So. Yeah, you know what else does? Uh, Halloween. <laughs> well said, Tim Burton. Yeah. You know that's not a Tim Burton film. No, yeah, I know. It's based on Tim Burton characters. Yeah. Not a Tim Burton film. I mean, it's essentially a Tim Burton it film. It really He is. just didn't direct it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was a great movie to see in theaters, just hearing it on the booming speakers. I will say, though, uh, the show that we saw, it was uh, the original theatrical cut, mm. as opposed to the 30th anniversary restoration, which I have on Blu-ray. And I know, guys, I'm about to do this going to be crazy, because we should be encouraging people to go to the theaters. But the restoration looks better than the original cut just because you can tell they actually go in they clean up a lot of the shots even seeing it on the beautiful big screen it was great seeing it there are shots where it looks like they just like there's like fog 
it over the characters. Like somebody just took some Vaseline and like smeared it over the screen for a couple shots. Neat. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Uh, yeah. So spend more money and stay fucking, inside. Yeah. Well, actually, on digital. who else besides Wes Anderson is keeping stop motion animation alive? I mean, yeah, it's, it's pretty much dead. It's sad that it is dying because it's so impressive. That's what makes that movie so great. Watching it now is that it holds up everything you're watching. You're like. How did they do this? Like, this is insane. Another really cool thing about that movie is, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever noticed, but in the credits, they put the animators before they put the cast. That's cool. That's just really awesome. It really shows how much work the animators and everybody who worked on that movie. Yeah, they did all the work. It. I mean, they did, they did all the work. <laughs> Danny Elfman, like, that's really a Danny Elfman movie. He composed the score. He sang Jack's parts. Like, that's Danny. That's all Danny. Good, good boy, Danny. What is Danny he doing? Boy, what is he doing boy? next? Well, I just saw that. Isn't he working back, on Justice League? Yeah, he's bringing back the original Batman score for Justice League. Oh, because so. he did the the Tim Burton score. Yeah. Oh, nice. So, there's that. All right. Anything else, boys? Is there a new Should Alice Wonderland really movie that he's doing? Or? Kill me. I don't know. Okay. There's, I mean, there's probably plenty of horror movies that we left out that Colin's gonna like bitch well, at okay. Well, okay. Well, this was more of like a rapid fire app, just yeah, like, exactly. Really, yeah. you could put like pretty much any Tim Burton, Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, I like, wanted really I, any Tim Burton. I wanted movie to could go in there. I wanted to ask what you, like, how you guys feel about Tim Burton. As a I kind okay. So I think that he's made some really good works in his past, but at this point, I think he's kind of become a hack. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't really like him that much. I mean, he's made some classic yeah, films. Some I mean, yeah, movies. that's it's like you said back in the day. Now, I mean, it's been a while. It's, it's been, been a while. Things where been sometimes while. filmmakers and actors they just kind of lose it. And like, look at Johnny Depp. Mm. Johnny Depp was once a great actor, and now he's just like a douchebag. I mean, he probably always was a douchebag. You know, Johnny Depp's lifestyle costs like three million dollars a month. Yeah, yeah, it costs like three million to be yeah. Johnny Depp. I mean, he's a lot like Nick Cage, where he used to be able to choose his roles, but now he has to choose everything. This ridiculous shit. That he buys. Like, I don't know about Johnny Depp, but I, know, I mean, I'm sure he's buying blow and shit. But Nick Cage is buying like dinosaur bones. Oh, I want to do cocaine with you too, Johnny Depp. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, that Rick and Morty is rooted in reality. I'm sure. You know, they also say that Johnny Depp has like tunnels connecting his three mansions, <laughs> so he's become like a mole person living in the. The depths of Earth. He's a pale boy. I mean, that's he's too busy like walking from one mansion to the other mansion on yeah. tunnels that he doesn't have time to read yeah. the scripts. Yeah. So he just has Why does he have all them. three mansions on completely yeah. different sides of L.A.? Johnny Depp is lost right now in the labyrinth. <laughs> so the guy that played Jack Sparrow in the latest Pirates of the Caribbean movie was not Johnny Depp. No, that was the Johnny Depp impersonator in that Nathan. <laughs> oh my oh, god. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's let's wrap it up here, boys. It's been a good one. Uh, we're gonna have some great eps for you this month. What? <laughs> Sorry, you're just talking like this is the end of the episode. It is the end of the episode. Yeah, it's the end of the episode. Yeah, this is it, guys. We're done. You're done. Yeah, <laughs> we're all. You're done. the one bailing on us, Hunter. Let's <laughs> not tiptoe around this. I'm sorry it's my girlfriend's birthday. Happy 21st, Gaia. Happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Happy birthday to All the listeners send Gaia your fan mail. Yeah. Yeah, send, send your chest. <laughs> send, yeah. Alright, well. Alright, on that note, uh, you can follow us on Instagram, like our Facebook page, at We Bought a Mic, and, you know, email us. Yeah.
Yeah. We bought a mic hey, at gmail.com. Hey, hit us up if you guys want to be on the pod. We're about to have a bunch of guests coming on this week. Come We're through, gonna, come through. People coming through to talk about four. People coming through to talk about some fallout boys, some front bottoms. Oh, it's going to be a great, great month here at before the go, pod. Before we go, my favorite horror movie of all time, Finding Drew Dietzen. Oh, shout out to Honestly Dab. Uh, David Iver production. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm at Calderness on Twitter and Instagram. And you guys. I'm at Drew Dietzen on uh, whatever you so choose. I'm at Hunt Mobley on Twitter and nothing else. Don't look for me on anything else. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next week. <laughs> Oh, sick. Oh. Let's get to the Beach Boys part. Then we'll cut it. Bottom We're gonna let's rebrand as the Moist Boys. Yeah, it's the Moist Boys.